most of us have probably heard the story of Mary and Martha before, and you probably think you know the whole story and exactly what I'm about to say. I'd encourage you not to check out, because I may say something you've never heard before, or I may say something that might remind you of something you heard before. So don't uh, check out. I just want to be unorthodox today and start at the end and, and then kind of meet, make our way back to the front. So I just want to read, this is verse 42 up there on the screen. It says this, But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So I'll read that again. Few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So right up the front or at the back, whatever way you want to see this, there's really three things you notice here. Firstly, there's necessity, that there is something that's necessary here. So take note of that. We're going to find out what that is in a minute. Secondly, we we see that there's a choice, that there are choices, there are options that are going to be presented on the table in in a few minutes. So we've got necessity, we've got choices, and the third thing is we've got an outcome, and there's different outcomes. For Mary, we see that what Mary chooses is not going to be taken away from her. And we're going to explain what that means in a second. But notice those three things again. Necessity, choice, and an outcome based on that choice. So let's read from the start. It says this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, I'm going to stop here. Martha hears about Jesus. We don't know if she's friends with Jesus yet or not. You read in John that Martha and Mary and Jesus are kind of best friends, but we don't know if they are friends yet. But we know that she's heard about Jesus. She's heard about his healing. She's heard about the fact that he hangs out with people ordinary people wouldn't hear about, ordinary people wouldn't hang out with. And so she thinks, you know what, I want this guy at my house which is normal. We love celebrities. We'd love if a celebrity came to our house for lunch. And so she opens her house to him. Normal thing to do. She's showing hospitality. I think that's great. Verse 39, Martha had a sister named Mary, and Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. So she sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. So we don't know if Mary actually lives at Martha's house or they're just sisters and she's kind of just hanging out at her sister's house and all of a sudden Jesus shows up. But what we do know is that Mary takes this opportunity to sit down at the feet of Jesus and listen. Now, in, in the first century, this was very significant, the posture that she takes here. It's not that just she was kind of hanging out and all of a sudden Jesus walks in the room and, oh, great, I'll, I'll just hang out for a few minutes and I'll be on my phone distracted. No, this posture is kneeling at the feet of Jesus. It's a listening posture. Here is a teacher that's come into the house where she is at, and she chooses to listen. To listen. It's an important posture to take. And so there's Mary. She's listening. And we continue. But Martha, and whenever you see but in the Bible, you ask the question, well, what's the comparison? So you've got Mary over here listening, But Martha over here was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Now, we might think of distraction as, 
We're surfing the internet for a particular video on YouTube and all of a sudden the cat video shows up and half an hour later we've seen that many cat videos we don't know what, what we're even searching for in the first place. We think of that as distraction. Maybe it's distracted driving where we've got that text message and, you know, we really should just check it as we're driving. We think of that as distraction. What distraction is here is actually this idea of being pulled away from something. So what is implied here by a lot of people in this passage is that Martha is kind of that super worried, busy, anxious lady who's always going crazy and never has time to stop. I don't think that's true. I think she's just being pulled away from what she actually wants to do, that she's being pulled away from what Mary is doing. And we're told that she's being pulled away by something specific. She says this, that she was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And that's a key phrase that had to be made. Well, who's making it? Did Jesus make her do it? Did Jesus make her get the croissants and the tea and everything else out? Who's making her do these things? She could have the messiest house in the world, and I don't think Jesus would care, but she feels an obligation to do something. And as we saw before in the puppet show, we all understand when someone important comes to the door, we want to look our best, we want to make sure there's no kind of toys all over the floor, We want to make sure that the house is semi-clean or at least we hide all the stuff in a cupboard. Uh, So we understand the pressure. We understand that she feels a burden to look good. But we need to elevate that by about 100% in this culture that Jesus is in because they are living in an honour-shame society. And if you travel to the Middle East now, you'll be able to see this firsthand still. Essentially, if you do something worthy of honour, not just your family or the people that you're with, know that. The entire culture learns about, wow, Martha did a great job here with Jesus. She's good. She's in the good books. Or if Martha did a bad job, you know what, Martha, she's in the bad books. She didn't look after Jesus. You know, she had clothes on the floor. How could she? It's a shame thing in society. And so she's feeling all the weight of these societal expectations on her. She's got all of these burdens. She's, She's just worried and anxious about kind of measuring up, if you like. And so all these worries and anxieties and burdens are pulling her away from what I believe is the thing that she wants to be doing, that she wants to be sitting with Jesus. She wouldn't invite him into her home unless she wanted him to be there. And so we continue reading. She came to Jesus in the midst of all of this, and she said this. And I think we've all said this at some point when we're getting ready for a visitor to come. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? If you're a sibling, you understand exactly what Mary is saying here. You know what, Mom, I didn't want to clean up the mess, and my sister, she's doing nothing. She's just sitting here, just kind of minding her own business on her phone. You know, what are they doing? Just, Mom, just tell her to help me. We've all probably said that if we're siblings at some point or another. So she is angry and frustrated and upset that, Here's Mary just seemingly just sitting, just chilling out with Jesus, and yet she's doing all the work. She's feeling all the pressure. She's got the whole burden on her head because Mary over here is just doing nothing. So you can understand the frustration. And she says, you know what, Lord, don't you care that she's just chilling out and I'm doing all the work? Don't you care about that? Don't you care that she's left me to do everything by myself? And then she says this, tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. Jesus, I'm not interested in listening to you right now. I'm interested in telling you things. So tell her to help me so this weight can be gone. 
And Jesus' response, I think, is really important. And it's probably surprising for most of us. He doesn't respond in anger or frustration or contempt. It's with sincerity. It's compassion. It's pity. It's mercy. He says this, Martha, Martha. And if you read the original Greek language, it says, Martha, Martha. It's not the English. It's, it's the original language saying, Martha, Martha. You are worried and upset about many things, which if I was Martha, I'd put on my hand and go, really? Of course I'm worried and upset about many things. Look at Mary. She's just chilling out over there, and here I'm freaking out. And yet it continues. You know what, Martha, Martha, you're worried about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. It's only one thing necessary. Mary has chosen, chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, commonly, this passage is applied like this. Everyone should become monks and sit in their room and just live peaceful, happy lives and do yoga because that's who Mary is. She's a peaceful, happy yoga girl sitting on a mat in front of Jesus. Don't be like Martha. She's busy and frayed and everything's a mess. I, I don't think that's a good application of this passage. What I want us to see is an invitation today, an invitation to come back to what is necessary, an invitation to start choosing the thing that is better, an invitation to see a result that will not be taken away from us. And so the result is, well, firstly, what's necessary? Well, Jesus' implication is that all of the preparations that Martha is making are unnecessary. And we may think, well, that's scandalous. How could I invite people into my house and have a complete mess and all the clothes on the floor and nothing's, there's no food made? How could I possibly do that? But Jesus makes a really interesting point that about our lives, we don't have to have everything buttoned up. We don't have to have everything perfect for him to come into our house. Maybe you think about God as someone who just needs you to be perfect. Or this story tells you that's garbage. Rubbish. Have the clothes on the floor in your life. Have the mess. Have the door wide open to all the randoms who walk in. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Jesus says it's not necessary to have ourselves perfect. It's not necessary to have all the clothes ironed and everything else. What is necessary is that we would have a listening posture to Jesus. That if Jesus comes into our house, into our life, that we would listen to him that we would listen to him. Secondly, it's a choice to listen to him. If someone asked me, how are you going today? How many of us would probably respond with, you know, my week's been busy. We've been busy this week. I'm okay, but I've been busy. I'm still busy. Life is busy. We're all busy, and we choose to be busy. We choose to be busy. Yes, we might say that our workplace makes us busy, that my boss, you know, they're riding me so hard, we've got to get these 15 things done, and unless I get these 15 things done, well, I'm not going to get that bonus, or the thing's not going to launch at the right time, or all of these things. Well, that might be true, but we're choosing to, A, work at that place, and B, we're choosing to, to give in to someone who's doing that to us. We all choose to be busy. We all choose to have the house the way we want it, to have our lives the way we want it, We all choose those things. But 
Jesus' invitation is not stop choosing those things and choose something else. His invitation is know what's necessary and start listening to Jesus in the midst of that. In the midst of the expectations that are going on in life, which will always exist, how can you be listening to God in the midst of that? That's the invitation. And thirdly, the, res- the result, it says, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Whether we like it or not, our workplace will eventually finish. Whether it runs out of money, whether we retire, whether we die, we will at some point not be at work. We'll at some point not live in the home that we currently live in. We'll at some point not have the kids that we have because they'll all grow up and run off somewhere else, you know? At some point, all those things that we so cherish won't be here anymore. And that's a sad thing, but it's also a reality thing, that there are some things that will last. And what this passage is showing us is that Mary sitting in a listening posture with Jesus, relating with him, is something that will last. It's something that will stand the test of time. So I just want to give us some ways that this invitation might affect us and then some practices that we can maybe do to kind of lean more into this as we finish. So for some of us, this is going to mean that we're going to have to slow down the pace a lot, that we are going to just have to tune down the pace of our lives. For some of us, we, we need to just recognize that we can't get it all done. For some of us, we're just running on 150% all the time because we're trying to get everything done constantly. But at some point, we just got to go, you know what, I can't do everything. I'm not a superman, a superwoman. For some of us, we just need to prioritize and simplify our lives. We're just running in too many different directions at once. We need to just pick a direction and go with it. For others of us, we need to say no more than we say yes. And I'm really bad at doing this, if I can be honest. I like helping people. That's part of my nature. But sometimes I need to say no so I can help not just me, but help other people better. And so we need to say no more than we say yes. And for others of us, it's just simply going to mean we're going to have to deal with the reasons why we distract ourselves. We're going to have to deal with the reasons why we do work so hard. Is it because we want to please the boss? Well, why do we want to please the boss? Is it because we want to look good in front of them? Is it because we want people to like us? Some of us, we've just got to deal with those reasons and, and sit with it. This invitation from Jesus is an invitation to help us begin new practices and new habits where even in the midst of life that we can be listening to Jesus. And there's a few that I've written down that, that I kind of do sporadically, if you like. These aren't things I do every day. You'd have no time to do anything else. You'd literally be the monk sitting in the, in the monastery. But here are some things that I try and prioritize. The first one is solitude. And solitude just means time alone without distraction. It means no phone. It means no, well, you can have a notepad, but it means no work. It just means time alone without distraction. And Henry now, and if you've heard of his name before, he was, amongst many things, a spiritual guide. He writes this, and I like it, that solitude is the furnace of transformation. Or to translate him, if you want any hope of changing the way that you live, you need to be able to sit alone in a room and just sit and let God talk to you. The second practice that I try and do is Sabbath. And I said this a few weeks ago, this is probably the most difficult one that we are ever going to have to try and do in our busy lives because we don't like to stop. And there's a few reasons for that, which I won't get into. 
but we don't like to stop. But I find it interesting at the start of Genesis that God stops. That after six days, he's finished what he was doing and he stops. And for me, if it's good enough for God, then it should be good enough for me. And so I try, emphasis on the try, to stop one day a week. I try to take time off, work, volunteer and work for the church. I try and just uh, use it as a time to spend with my family, a time to rejoice in what God has given us, a time to be sitting with God and working out, well, where's my life kind of not doing the things that are necessary? It's not an easy thing to do, stopping. But I think it's important. The third thing I'd encourage us to do is what's called create a rule of life. And you might do this in your professional sphere of like, you know what, I'm going to have these 10 goals for this year or I'm going to value these things at our company. And so you're kind of seeking after these things. But I'd encourage you to create one for your life. I have one. I have a rule of life for my relationship with God, for my marriage to Emily, for my relationship with my kids. I have a rule of life for the written content that I produce. At university, I have a rule of content for the sermons that I preach. I have different values that I seek to uphold because they lead me in a certain direction. And the purpose of creating a rule of life is that you are going in a certain direction, not in a million different ones. So solitude, Sabbath, and creating a rule of life. Of life. I just want to read that last verse again that's up there. It says this, But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Father, we all live busy lives, and you know everything about us. You know the stress and the worry and anxiety and the pressure and the burden that we feel. You know whether it's based on trying to be perfect. You know whether it's based on people liking us. You know whether it's just based on we have a good work ethic. But Father, I'm convinced that in the midst of all of this that we are able to have a relationship with you, that we're able in the middle of our day to just stop and just spend time with you. And so God, I just pray that you'd help us to to set aside that time, even if it's five minutes. He allows you to set aside five minutes of undistracted time to just sit and just reflect on you. And Father, for those of us who find that really difficult, I just pray that you might help us hear your words to Martha, that you are worried and upset about many things, but there's only one thing that's necessary. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help us make the choice today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.